Now, people who are in Israel can't answer this, but who knows what you're looking at in that photo? A hand on a rock. Very good. Yes, sir? The Western Wall. Very, very good. <coughs> Excuse me. The Western Wall in Jerusalem, a very special place, very holy place uh, to Orthodox Jews in particular. The Western Wall, the only place of the Temple Mount, the Temple area, it's not part of the Temple, but the only place of the Temple area from the time of Jesus that still stands above ground today. Orthodox Jews come and they pray at the wall. It is tradition. If you look at that photograph, you can see little pieces of paper. It is tradition to write little prayers on the pieces of paper and cram them into the cracks on the wall. Some of us did that. Uh, many of us prayed at the wall. Uh, that's my hand. I was praying there at the wall. I offered the Lord's Prayer at the wall, among other prayers. Yeah, but it's a very, uh, very um, special thing. Uh, go ahead to the next picture. Now, even more special, I said it's the only part of the original temple structure that is above, that was, remains above ground. Recent archaeological uh, excavations have discovered much more of the temple wall, however, underground. You, can, you might be a little difficult to see, but this here is the part of the wall that is exposed today. This is where that picture comes from. I was about right there. And the rest of this today is all underground. There's a valley right here, a wadi, a dried riverbed, a valley. And Herod built or expanded this bridge entering into the Temple Mount. Over time, this area here was built up with a series of arches, and today, this area here is the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem. This is all covered up, right here, all covered up with stone and dirt, and a synagogue sits here, but then this is all Muslim housing. But here, they discovered this tunnel structure, the system of arches under this bridge, and they began to dig. They began to excavate. And with modern technology, they were able to dig under that synagogue and under those Muslim houses without having them collapse. They could put up support structures. And so you can, do, and you can go now and you can tour the tunnels of the Western Wall. Go to the next one. And you can see this is from underground. This is from underground. The above ground section of the Western Wall has about nine layers of this stone, this Herodian stone, great big gigantic stones. The underground portion, you can see here's one layer, and here's two layers where Stephen is standing. Twelve layers underground that they've discovered. Now, can you imagine how tall that wall was when you were standing in Jesus' day at ground level? We learned some things. We learned uh, Stephen and John and I did some studying in uh, Naples before the Israel part of the trip. And we learned there from some scientists that Roman concrete was magical stuff. It was almost waterproof. And the recipe has been lost to history. 
So I don't, our, our guides told us that Roman concrete was better than modern concrete. But if they made concrete that good nowadays, you wouldn't buy as much of it because it would last. They didn't need concrete for this Jewish structure because look at how big those rocks are, those stones. They would quarry those stones. The biggest of the stones weighs darn near one million pounds. You can't even imagine that weight, can you? Now, how did they transfer those stones before the time of Christ from the quarry to the Temple Mount and in sometimes 100 feet up into the air to put them to build that wall? Well, you know why they didn't need concrete? It was so heavy, once you got it where it was going, it wasn't going anywhere. You didn't need concrete. Our guide, archaeologist, said they filled the Temple Mount with dirt and sand, packed it down so that it was a ramp going up there and used lots and lots and lots and lots of donkeys. And then when the wall was done, they took the dirt away. It's as good of explanation as anybody. But nobody quite knows. Now when Jesus said, not one stone would be left upon the other, he said this, this temple's going to be destroyed. That came to pass. But the wall... That was destroyed by pushing because there was no concrete. They just pushed the bricks, the, the giant stones, down. Well, what happened as the wall came down and they broke on the ground? You came up to a level of the wall where now you're like halfway down the wall, but it's filled up to level, right? That's why it's preserved. This stuff down here got covered with the rubble of the wall, not the temple wall. This is the wall around the temple that got toppled over by the Romans. That's why it's preserved. Now, I share this with you. Go ahead back to, well, go ahead back. Yeah, show me that one. Nope, nope, one more. Nope, the one past Stephen. There. This is a, a, far, a picture farther out from the excavations. They're still digging. This is a new discovery, by the way. In this decade, it's a new discovery. Um, we, not a lot of people have taken this tour. But you can see how big the wall is. You can see the people standing over there, how big. I share this with you because our passage today, from John chapter 2, is stunning. What Jesus is about to say. It's the beginning of John's gospel, beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And he comes to this temple complex. He would have been there as a little kid. Jesus would have been here, but it was under construction then. It wasn't finished. Now, when Jesus started his ministry, it was new. It was like a shiny, still had that new temple smell. It was brand spanking new. And, 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 and Jesus comes here, and one of the first things that he does is he makes a whip out of cords, and he goes ballistic. He freaks out. He's cracking this whip, throwing the tables over, money changers who were there on the temple steps. Why? Because... The Sadducees, who were now in charge of the business portion of the temple and the priests and all that, the Sadducees had brought in these money changers because to pay your temple tax, you had to pay with Jewish currency. Well, what, what kind of money do they use for normal business? Roman currency. They're under Roman occupation. So they had to exchange their money. And these money changers were extorting the people of God, they were charging a huge premium just so that the people could worship. 
You understand why Jesus got so mad about this? Now, you and I read that story about him kicking out the money changers and go, Jesus, yeah, give it to him. And we say, of course Jesus can do this. He's Jesus. Not so for the people on the ground at the time. They're saying, Jesus, who's Jesus? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Because that's where we pick up on the scriptures today. In verse 18, the Jews asked him, what sign are you going to show us? To prove your authority to do what you're doing, to do all this. Jesus answered them, standing by that wall. You know how big that wall is now, brand spanking new. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That's insane. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed that the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. This is God's word. First, I just want you to be impressed for a second about the audacity of Jesus' claim. Jesus was not just a nice teacher. Right? If Jesus was not God incarnate, then he was insane. And so were his followers. And you all are duped. Jesus was God incarnate. If Jesus was God incarnate, then not only do we have complete reason to say, yeah, Jesus, you had every right to turn over those tables. Yes, Jesus, you had every right to rebuke the money changers, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. Yes, Jesus, you absolutely could the, if the real brick, I almost said brick and mortar. I just told you there's no mortar. If there's no brick, you absolutely could tear the temple down and build it in three days. No problem. Snap your fingers. It's done. If you are the incarnate Son of God, then yes, even though you die, you will be resurrected in three days. But if he wasn't, he was insane. And you shouldn't respect him at all. But he was. And he is the incarnate Son of God. So the first thing I want you to do is just be impressed by the audacity of the claim that he makes. Secondly, I want you to see what Jesus is saying here is the point of his ministry. The people were never supposed to make the temple the point of it all. The people were never supposed to make God's law the point of it all. Both are very important, but they're not the point of it all. The people were never supposed to make the nation of Israel the point of it all, or Judaism, the point of it all. Going all the way back to Abraham, God's promise was that God's people would be a blessing to the whole world. The prophet Micah says that all nations will come to Mount Zion to worship Yahweh. Jesus says 
in another place in John's gospel that when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. And here he says, the temple is not the point. The temple was never the point. I am the point. It's not a coincidence then that during his last night with his disciples, he took bread. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. In just a minute in the, in the Jesus story that John is telling in chapter 6, Jesus will tell his disciples something kind of cryptic at the time, but listen. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. He's either insane or he's the Son of God. The only way, truth, and the life. The only way back to the Father. To eat the body and drink the blood of Christ means you accept from him what you cannot do yourself. You cannot be good enough yourself. You accept it from him, your goodness, your acceptability, your righteousness. You accept it from him as a free gift. It means you feed on him. It means you depend on him. Not only for your forgiveness, but for so much more. Literally for everything. Bread and wine, the two most basic things. The two most basic things needed for existence. Freely given to the people of God who will come in faith take and eat, take and drink. The Pharisees boasted because they were Abraham's children. We got to meet a guy who was the president. Could you hand me that water? We got to meet a guy who was the president of the Bethlehem Bible College, a Palestinian Christian college in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is under Palestinian control. The Jews can't go there. We got to go there because we were with Palestinian guides. But he said he, that while you're here in Israel, you're looking at a whole bunch of dead stones, and that's good. But make sure you talk to some of the living stones, too. What he meant was the Christians, the people who call upon Christ, who know Jesus. He said, because there's a lot of living stones here, too. And God's building his temple, his living temple, the people of God. His church. God's building it brick by brick, stone by stone. Coburn's, Jed, you all, all of you, stone by stone. See, the Pharisees boasted that they were sons of Abraham. Jesus says, that's ridiculous. God can make sons of Abraham out of these dead stones. A lot of stones in Israel. It's a very rocky place. You go there, it's pretty impressive how many stones there are everywhere, rocks everywhere. Poor farmers. Stones. God can make sons of Abraham out of stones. You are living stones. 
Christ is the cornerstone, since he's the foundation, he's the first one laid, the most important, but you all are stones in the temple of God that he is even now building, a temple that is being used to call other people to Jesus, to come and see, to come and worship. I want to read you one quick thing that R.C. Sproul says about this passage, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. He says, The temple that was standing in Jesus' time was destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. Many evangelical Christians are waiting eagerly for the Jews to build a new temple, seeing that as a sign of the end of the age. They fail to understand that the temple already has been rebuilt. Christ is the temple. Listen to this. The locus of the living presence of God in the midst of his people. Christ is the temple. The locus or focus or center point, the, lo the location of the living presence of God in the midst of God's people. And the rebuilding of the temple took place on the day of his resurrection. My name in Hebrew, Adam, means of the dirt. I tell Hebrew speakers kind of in jest that they can call me dusty. You all are stones, living stones that God is using and has used and is using and will use to build his temple here on earth. Maybe people can call you Rocky. As you come to the table today, think about that. Give God thanks because you were a dead stone. You were a dead stone. Before he touched you, gave you the gift of faith, opened your eyes to see, and changed your heart. Thank him for touching you and for making you a living stone. Thank him for what he's done in your life. Thank him for how he's used you, and thank him for the future that he has in store for you.